All right, we are back here. Showtime Championship Boxing official weigh-ins for Garcia and Red Catch just happened behind us. Everyone made weight. Welcome, everyone. Luke Thomas, Paulie Malinaji, Brian Campbell. All right, let's start now. We have a little bit of time to lay into these fights a little bit. Paulie, our main event, Garcia, a man you faced, taking on Ivan Redcatch. Let's start with an overarching question. What is the biggest question centered around this fight? Um, you know, I, I think people are wondering if this is just a tune-up for Danny, uh, how he's going to look and whatnot. But I really think I like the attitude of Redcatch. Redcatch is seem is always a guy that comes to fight, no matter what weight class he's fought. He's always been a guy who's looking to exchange punches, throw down, and, and fight. So I don't know if this is going to basically be a, a kamikaze mission against a guy like Garcia, who's looking for you to come in crazy because he because Garcia, what he does best is he punches with you and catches you while he's while you're coming in. But I do think that. The, the combination of the two styles makes for an exciting fight. I do think that uh, Red Catch is unintimidated by Garcia's reputation. I, I think he's unintimidated by the whole fact of this whole situation here. And he knows this is his big chance. And I think he's going to come to fight. And, and Garcia is always focused. He's never an unfocused fighter, no matter who the opponent is. So I do think that the combination of the two styles will make for an exciting fight. Yeah, it's going to be compostable. You're going to see action here because that's what Ivan Redcotch does. you got to knock him out to beat him, to finish him. We remember his war with John Molina Jr. two years ago, a fight of the year contender. And when Ivan Redcotch made the move from 140 up to 147 last year, he told me, I only did it for the money. They called me. They said, do you want Devin Alexander? Well, he walked in there, knocked him down three times, knocked him out face first down to the canvas. He likes what this weight class does to his body. You heard him mention it up there. He's only focused on being the best he can be. Danny Garcia had to strip down to make this weight class. Look, Garcia is definitely the rightful favorite here. And talking to his camp, they said, well, we don't, we don't struggle to make the weight. We sacrifice to make it. But as much as Danny Garcia is the rightful favorite, Redcotch is going to make it a war, and that's the only way to go. I mean, and keep in mind, I mean, he, he was thoroughly outboxed by Tevin Farmer. Uh, but, uh, a few weight classes okay, down. But Tevin this is very not, good. This is not... The same style, though. Tevin Farmer is not only very good; it's a different clash, it's a different style of matchup as well. Garcia is a more flat-footed guy. He's a more he's a guy who's more apt to throw that kind of power. So Red Catch will come in throwing his big shots, but Garcia is going to have opportunities to throw his own big shots, which is what he likes to do. Let me circle back to you, if I can, Paulie. Let's talk about him moving up in weight. He had the win over Alexander, which was really nice. I guess what I'm wondering is when you move up in weight, what are all the benefits that can be conferred? Extra power punching? Does it make you also better at taking punches? No, I don't think it makes you better at taking punches because you're going to be taking shots from bigger guys so I, I don't know where that whole thing came from um probably when guys were, were i hate to say doping and then they're taking better <laughs> shots but you don't take better shots when you go up and wait and go up get up get hit uh, get hit by bigger guys but what you do have is less less weight struggle so maybe you have a more energetic style to you i will give you that um you'll so you'll be able to maybe have a higher punch output uh, uh and and maybe have better legs um, and also, just men mentally, you're not stressed. When you're not stressed about the f making the weight, you're going to come in kind of carefree and, and be able to train that way every day and, and bring out your best. And as much as it's great, Luke, just sorry to interrupt you, that we sure. can say, I love Red Hotch's style. I love his attitude. I love that he feels he's being overlooked and all that. What the potential problem for him is, as you mentioned with Andy Garcia's counterpunching, is the, for him to win this fight, meaning Red Hotch, Kind of has to make it a war. Kind of has to make it ugly, yet you're playing into that spider web of what Danny Garcia does good. A-plus chin, great counter puncher, maybe the biggest puncher in the welterweight division. So that combustibility is going to bring us action. Garcia, yeah. that combustibility is going to bring us action, but there is going to be constant danger for Red Yeah, and I'll tell you what time. makes it exciting, too. You know, running along the same point. Yes, Garcia's a counterpuncher, but he's a counterpuncher in a much different style than most counterpunchers. Most counterpunchers are on the back foot. Garcia, Garcia is... Oh, a, a, a 
almost a weird kind of counterpuncher. He holds his ground and just punches with you. You know, sometimes he'll say he's not even looking. He'll just kind of bend his right. chin. Because what he's looking at is for your commitment, and he's going to punch with you. He's not, he, doesn't care, he doesn't even care if he's putting himself in the line of fire half the time, you know, because he's just confident that if he punches with you, he's going to have your full commitment, and that means his, all the power he can lay into you is going to land fully. So a guy like Red Catch fully committing, Red, uh, Garcia looking for that kind of thing and throwing his own bombs, Garcia putting himself in position by holding his ground to be hit with Red Catch's shots. I think for however long it lasts, it, it's a good fight. <laughs> now, the interesting part about this, of course, and why Garcia took this fight is, for one reason, inactivity, right? The guy has, I, I point this out, has not had a back-to-back -back win since 2016, had, I think, one fight, the Granados fight, which he looked great in last year. Paulie, I'm not sure what I make of the inactivity. He had 33 fights before he's lost. He's 31 years old. He's a veteran. None of this is new to him. How much does the time off benefit him by not being overly damaged through camps and fighting? And how much of it is a little bit of rust he has to uh, deal with here? Well, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy who stays in the gym even if he's taking time off. So I don't know how much of that is rust, really. But I do think you preserve yourself a little bit better as you get older. Uh, he's been in a lot of, he's faced a lot of big names. I mean, Garcia's faced a lot of big names. I remember ever since before he was champion, he faced guys like uh, Nate Campbell and Kendall Holt, who were ex-world champions. And, and, and Gar Danny Garcia had not yet fought for a world title and was already fighting guys like that. So he's fought a, a very tough schedule, I, I think. Um, contrary to what many people believe, if you followed his whole career th thoroughly. So uh, you're not putting cherries on his Instagram is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, but, but, but I will say that, but I will say that I, I think a little bit of preservation is good. Um, he's, he's lost two times in the last few years, but changed a couple of rounds here and there, and the guy's undefeated. That's, and, and it wasn't like he was fighting chumps either. No, it wasn't. Not, not only was he not fighting chumps, but like I said, you change a round or two here and there, and, he, and this guy's undefeated right now. We're you talking know, about him in, in, in a level of greatness, which I still think he's a great fighter, but I think he gets underrated in that conversation. Mentality is going to be so key in this fight, right? I already identified the mentality for Red Koch is nobody believes in me. I'm coming in there. I'm going to try to knock you out. How about this for Danny Garcia, though? We're going through a renaissance welterweight era. But when you talk about the biggest names, right, you're hearing Spence, Pacquiao, Porter, Crawford. Sometimes Danny Garcia's name falls out of that conversation when it shouldn't. Some of that is the inactivity. He thought he was getting Thurman last year. He thought he was getting... He thought he was getting Spence today, so He to thought he was getting uh, uh, Pacquiao, Mikey Garcia last, last fall as well. This is his opportunity right here to certainly make that statement and get back in there. We all know who could be out there for him when you're talking about the names like Spence and Pacquiao, but it's no secret why Redcotch is a southpaw, and it's the perfect sort of lead-up opportunity for him. Good point. But back right. to magnitude in, in uh, you know, the mental state, I think Danny Garcia has just as much motivation to remind you exactly who he is, a guy who's that close to being undefeated. And like I said, in my opinion, the biggest puncher in this division. And you know what? Also, timing confidence, that kind of thing. They're both coming off very good performances. Say what you will about the Granados fight. Granados always a guy who's tough to look good against, whether you win or beat him or not, or not beat him. And he's been robbed a lot of times, too. Garcia thoroughly beat him and then stopped him. So that, that's, that's very rare to beat Adrian Granados in that way. So he's coming off a very good performance regardless. And Red Catch off the win over Devin Alexander, ex-world champion, probably the biggest one of his career. So confidence-wise, both guys are coming in with a bit of a head of steam here regardless of the inactivity of Garcia. I'll tell you what I like about this, Paul. Tell me if you agree. I'll tell you what I like and dislike. I like the fact that he does not have to take this fight in Danny Garcia. He doesn't really need it, so to speak. It's probably beneficial to him in certain ways, but I like that he's getting out there, giving an opportunity to a... a like I say, a lesser guy as a person, but as a boxer, I think it's probably a fair statement. Here's what I'm just not clear about. Okay, I want to fight a southpaw because I might have to fight Pacquiao or some other southpaw down the line. What kind of benefit is, do you really get from fighting one southpaw whose style is radically different from another southpaw? Well, I just think you're just starting to 
I, I think it's not so much the opponent, but also the training camp. You know, you're starting to see Southpaws. You know, you're starting to prepare for Southpaws. If behind the scenes, and we don't know behind the scenes, if there's a, the Pacquiao conversation is happening behind the scenes, if that is happening behind the scenes, you're not, it's not just about red catch. Got Team Garcia's, and, and I'm not no disrespect to red catch, but this has been the conversation the whole time. Team Garcia is kind of looking at Pacquiao, taking the red catch fight as an as, as opponent to warm up for El Salpo, but also you're taking the training camp as a warm-up. Because if you fight a right-hander, you're going to be sparring right-handers. So if you start to get the looks of Southpaws, then you fight a Southpaw. Then the next camp, you say you get you say you say get through red catch, which is not going to be a pushover. But say you get through red catch, you have another training camp full of Southpaws, and then you get the Pacquiao fight. Fair point. Then you, you, you kind of get the preparation mentally and physically with the yeah, Southpaws. And another fair point is Danny Garcia doesn't have a big history against Southpaws. Just two times, right? Zab Judah, who came on and late Guerrero, against him. Right? And Robert Guerrero, who had moments where it looked like I don't think he hurt Danny, but he was in that fight for mm -hmm. certain windows before Danny was able to get decisions in both fights. Sometimes you got to get that experience. All right, I want to talk about Garcia's known strengths and known weaknesses. Let's start with the strength, the left hook. How is the left hook going to be a factor against a southpaw like this? Um, I think it's a factor, but I think both hands. I think both both hands are something Garcia carries power. And we saw we saw him knock down Zab Judah with the right hand as well. You know, so Brandon Rios he put away with the and, right and the right hand exactly. Great point. Brandon Rios was the knockout came with the right hand as well. So I think Garcia's left hook is definitely vaunted. It should be talked about, but I think the power is in both hands. I think it come, both. I think that power comes into play just with the commitment of red catch. Red catch, I think, is going to land shots on, on Garcia because Garcia holds his ground when he's looking for these counters, and sometimes he mistimes them, and he takes clean shots. We even saw him take a big shot from Lucas Matisse, I remember, back in the day. So he's the got a great chin. The mouthpiece yeah, the flying mouthpiece over, yeah. flying. So he's got, a, he's got a great chin, but he's also a hittable in, in his own. In, in, in this very, the very same thing that makes him dangerous also makes him susceptible, and that's why he can be exciting. And that's why an opponent like Redcatch, with the enthusiasm, with the will to win, and the determination, and just the right moment right now that he's feeling himself, I think makes for a fun fight tomorrow. Now, I want to talk to you about the weaknesses. You and I spoke about this. Again, credit to, to Garcia. Never been knocked down, right? Certainly this is a guy who has never been knocked out, obviously. This is a guy who can hold his own both on the offensive and defensive side. If there is a weakness, Brian Campbell, something you have talked to me about is perhaps not that he has bad footwork, but against guys who have really quick feet, that can pose a problem for him. To what extent is Redcatch potentially one of those guys? I think that's Ivan Redcatch's problem. If there's a path to not victory, but staying in a fight against Danny Garcia, I think there's four guys that have pulled it off. It's certainly Lamont Peterson and Mauricio Herrera who didn't get the calls on the scorecards, and it's the two losses to the very elite, Sean Porter and Keith Thurman. They oh. were able to expose maybe, I don't want to say his lack of lateral quickness, but they had oh. speed and footwork advantage. They darted in and out, Paulie. Oh. You had some moments against DSG as well. Yeah, yeah, I was a little bit. A little uh, bit. Okay. <laughs> you had one moment against him. Right. I'll tell you what. Uh, also, Ashley Theofane had a, a, a good fight against him uh, before Danny was a, bit, was a big name fighter as well. So the, the good legs have also always been a bit of a kryptonite for Garcia, but, but the that's red not red catch have that. Catch. That's what we're so we have say, to so. figure out, Luke, ultimately, does Ivan Radcatch have legitimate welterweight power, the kind that can hurt an iron chin Danny Garcia, or was Devin Alexander more on the other side of that hill and it was right Yeah, that's the other part I was bringing up earlier. It's like, I get your point well taken about the comfortability with southpaws, but Pacquiao, if they end up making that fight after this one, he absolutely is a mover, right? He absolutely cuts angles. He yeah. works a lot in a way yeah, that Red Cash uh, just never would. Yeah, it was for, what is he, 42? 41. 41. Great, great legs for the 41-year-old. Hey, those calves, Paulie. Uh, yeah, do, do, do I detect a little sarcasm, Paulie <laughs> Malinaji? <laughs> great legs for 41-year-old. Maybe, maybe just a little bit. Uh, okay, last thing. You fought Danny Garcia. What did you learn in that fight that maybe you didn't either understand or fully appreciate about his abilities? No, I, I always I had a... Um, 
a, a reco recognizance of the fact that he looks to punch with you. I thought that was very important for me to know. So I was trying to, when I was fighting him, use a lot of feints to try to get him to commit to the punching with you and maybe, uh, um, you know, get him, throw him off a little bit. But it, it didn't work out. Danny's also a, a, a smart fighter. Uh, he doesn't get credit for the intelligence in the ring. You know, he's mentally strong and in that it's hard to break him. And we already knew that going in. And he's got a great chin. We already know that. But also, he starts to, I remember there was certain situations I was looking for, certain counters I was looking for, and he started to hit me with jabs on my shoulders, jabs in different parts that were kind of discombobulating my, my center of gravity so I, I, I couldn't get the counter off, you know? Mm. And then, of course, he was looking for the headshots too, but just different things. He's, he's a much more intelligent fighter than people give him credit for, and, and he closes the gap in that way, in those subtle ways, and when he closes the gap in those subtle ways, sometimes you end up panicking and throwing something crazy, and that's when he looks to punch with you and get you out of there. Interesting. Now, you also mentioned something I want to pick up on before we go to our co-main event, Brian. It's a bit of a golden era for welterweights, right? And you know what's interesting about it? And tell me if you agree with this characterization. You've got some new blood. You've got some dark horses. But it's a lot. Of, I'm not going to call Danny Garcia old. But he's been around the division as a prominent player for a while. The division's full of guys like that right now. It makes it hard to stand out. It does. It, look, everyone's fighting for that opportunity. And Danny Garcia's been through this before. You remember that 2013 upset of Lucas Matisse that Paulie mentioned. That was supposedly going to put him next in line for Floyd Mayweather. It didn't ultimately happen. Maidana upset Broner. Floyd fights Maidana twice. It happens. He knows he's sort of in a bridesmaid position now for a possibility of Pacquiao. In some place, it's just right place, right time, right performance to knock on that door, make that statement, and draw that big name. But even if he doesn't get that fight, right? You want to talk about the names available to Danny Garcia if he gets a victory on Saturday. He even said, look, if we end up seeing Pacquiao and Spence fight each other instead of against me, I wouldn't mind going up to 54 and rematching Thurman or Porter, having them come up with an easier weight cut. This is a time to be alive at welterweight, Luke. All right, let's go down to our co-main event. It is a junior middleweight, although you saw from Jimmy Lennon Jr. contracted at 156 pounds, although funnily enough, Jared Hurd. Funnily, let's do this. Yeah. Okay, Jared Hurd looked I don't know how you guys felt. He looked way bigger to me than Francisco Santana, yet coming in as something of a somewhat lighter guy. Physically, though, I'm a, I mean, Jared Hurd's whole style has always been when he, he talked about when he needs it, he can rough you up and if that's the direction he wants to go. What kind of a fighter is Jared Hurd when he's at his best? Oh, he's a guy who mentally and physically breaks you. You know, he's, he brings a, a, a pace that's uncomfortable for you and he stays, he's in your face the whole time. And he's making you work. And if he's not making you work, he makes you feel like you need to work, you know? And so, because you don't want him in front of you. Because if you see him in front of you, he's, it's just, you're in that danger zone. So, I, it, he's the kind of fighters like this create errors in, in their opponents because they, they, create a, they sort of create a panic. You think when you're going to land some shots and, or some counter shots or even some lead shots, you're going to create some space and maybe get a rest here and there. But this guy, even when he's resting, he's in your face. So, you feel like you can't rest because he might throw a punch at any point. So, mentally, it's stressing. You see the comes to mind the Arizlandi Lara fight. Well Lara started well, but you could just fight see, of the year. Yeah, you could just see the, the sand coming out of the hourglass little by little in Lara because this guy was in his face constantly and he was he makes you feel like you have to work more than you want you want to, more than you should, and it catches up to you in the late rounds. Let's talk about the stock. I mentioned, you know, the the I, I'm a DC guy, guilty as charged. Jared Hurd was making some noise because Lamont Peterson had retired not long before. Jared Hurd was kind of the city's next big boxer. He goes and takes on J-Rock at the Eagle Bank Arena in Fairfax, Virginia, and then loses on national television. The Redskins had made him the official ambassador. He had their logo on his trunks. I was like, oh, no, Jared, such bad luck. But he ends <laughs> up losing. Uh, he's now hit the reset button a little bit. New trainer. 
you know what's interesting? It's not just the new trainer or the loss to me that sort of stands out. He said something this past week being like, you know, I've had some fight of the year contender fights. I don't want those anymore. I want quick wins. He, t- talk to me about what, A, the, the loss to J-Rock did to his stock, and two, where you see him now regrouping. Well, the loss to J-Rock certainly humbled him. He'd opened up to me in interviews I had with him and said, basically, look, I believed in my own, on my own headlines. I believed in my own clippings. I got a little bit too big for my own britches. But it wasn't just that the loss humbled him, guys. It was sort of the breakdown in his team. His old trainer, Ernesto Rodriguez, had sort of a bitter falling out between the two. You listen to him talk to new trainer Kay Kamura. We saw that in the fighter meeting this morning. It's all about that focus. It's not changing him as a fighter. It's just let's not rely on those strengths, the size, the, the, the passion to come forward. Let's try to win a little bit easier and have some kind of longevity. They, want to add, they don't want to add anything as much as they want to remind Jarrett Hurd who he used to be as an amateur turning pro and who he can be if just things are a little bit more balanced. You don't always have to have your foot on the gas. You always have to be eating punches just because you can. That's a scary proposition in this 154-pound division, which is exciting. It's been flipped upside down by a number of upsets from Harrison beating Charlo through uh, Jason Rosario just, uh, just last week. This is going to be interesting if Jarrett Hurd can be the same guy he already was in those two fight of the year contenders, but add those kind of wrinkles. He says... All those rumors about him going to middleweight, that was never true. That was never him. He still makes 54 easy. Well, I don't know how a truck that big makes 54, but if he's making it easy and he's getting better defensively and as a boxer, we could really be talking about the guy who could be the face of this division when all is said and done. Uh, interestingly here, Paulie, when, when fighters make resets, when, do you, when can you tell that the reset was good? And when can you be like, ooh, I don't know about that reset? Is it only visible once they fight? Or are there other signs you can look to to say, I like the way that they're thinking about going in a different direction. I mean, you, it's hard to say the way they're thinking because you're always going to brainwash yourself into thinking you made a positive impact and a positive move when things change. So I, for me, it comes down to what's in the ring. And sometimes it's not even comes down, it doesn't even come down to what's in the ring the first time. You know, like sometimes it's just, you know, when you, especially when you change your team, it takes a fight or two to kind of get, the, get that uh, camaraderie, get that chemistry together you know, and, and, and have it work in the right way. So, um, saying the right things you're always going to say the right things especially on fight week fighters you know we brainwash ourselves you know <laughs> even if things don't haven't gone well in camp on fight week they've gone well in camp you yeah. know so so you know uh, still but i guess the question is he had the two potential fight of the years the laura fight and then of course the j-rock fight again a very difficult fight one that he lost uh he had the falling out with his trainer it did seem like a reset is, was needed now maybe this particular choice of new trainer was we can debate about whether or not it's good hey, after hey, the fight bro don't stop there on the reset he cut off the blonde locks and cut moved, out, moved out of his parents house this yeah. is a new man this right is here. a new man yeah, so no, it, it no, looks sometimes to me, maybe sometimes, a change was needed sometimes psychologically you have that too you where you would you look into kind of change a lot of things up just to kind of maybe turn the page over and tell yourself okay you are, you know what i'm not done i'm just turning the page you know as a, so you just kind of create a new image for yourself i did that too i had I cut off the spikes after uh, I've lost to Miguel Cotto. <laughs> I, had, I had the spiky hair for like four or five years, uh, the whole Jersey Shore haircut, you know? But, but um, you know, Renaissance, man. I love this guy right so, here. So, Magic, man. So, so uh, you know, with Jared doing things like that, you know, maybe psychologically for him, it's, it's his way of expressing to himself and also expressing to the people that, you know what? This is a change in me, but I'm just turning the page. It's not a change to where I'm done. It's a change of me just turning the page, and I intend to go full steam ahead. When you made the change of the haircut, did you feel like a new man? I won the world, ta- world title. I mean, what can we I say? I won the world title. I saw that guy's DMs. World champion. Wow, Little wow. did I know, this fight's had a goal for me to win the world title. Uh, all right, maybe you would have done it sooner. And then we talk about Francisco Santana, Brian. He does have a win over Felix uh, Diaz, right? Yeah, big upset. All right, so he's got a moment there or two where he has looked pretty good. 
Still, let's be clear, I think Hurt is the deserved favorite here. Uh, absolutely. And, and in theory, this is what I mentioned off the start, a welterweight moving up to that division, not only to 154. Jarrett Hurt sort of fight and lobbied and won the idea of this being a 156-pound catchweight. But Santana comes at him. He comes to fight. And he sort of has the perfect mentality coming in here. He knows how big of an upset of an underdog he is. He knows what's at stake for him with a win in two divisions if he can get it. He's just going to try to be that guy sleeping underneath. He's got some of the same problems Red Koch has in that if he follows his natural instincts and tries to turn this into a war, he could end up in some kind of trouble. He's going to have to be really smart getting in and out. His team told us this morning it'll come down to that jab. If he is able to succeed with that jab, control distance, control timing, and do all those things and keep Jarrett Hurd off, it's a big ask, though. But this is going to be interesting for a guy who, as I mentioned, could be painting the curbs by day, trying to get himself into the title picture by night here. At the Barclays on Saturday. It certainly has a bit of an uphill task, but he seems game for it. And as I mentioned, it is a Showtime triple header starting tomorrow right here at the Barclays Center, 9 p.m. The opening fight, I have to tell you, I, I keep mentioning it as a triple header, not because there are just three fights Showtime is putting on. The opening fight, and it's a matter of your mileage may vary, it might be the best of them. Super bantamweight contest, 122 pounds. We just saw him make it two Philly fighters, kind of, right? Arnold Hagai from UK, Ukraine excuse me, has relocated to Philly. LA now. He, he's, he, he okay. made his pro debut. Box rec was wrong. Let's be honest. Right, here. but if you, look <laughs> at, if you look at when like, who fought in Philly last, it's actually uh, uh, the, the gentleman from, yes, from Ukraine, <laughs> which is also kind of funny. But, okay, neither here nor there. And, of course, the sort of the whiz kid, Stephen Fulton. By the way, people talk about Philly fighters, and it can be somebody who's a brawler, somebody who's slick, somebody who's crafty, somebody who's a power puncher. It's Philly fighter has at this point, because it's so misused, become this all-encompassing term. When I ask Paulie Malignaggi what a Philly fighter is, what does it traditionally mean? Uh, you know, I just think of a gritty guys, uh, a guy, Jim Wars, I think of when I think of Philly boxing. Jim Big wavos, Paulie, yeah. be honest. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, obviously courageous fighters, but skilled fighters. Skilled fighters who don't run. That's kind of how I look at it. Mm -hmm. Like, skilled fighters who know how to fight, know how to even give you a war, but also know how to come forward without making it an all-out war. They know how to just pummel you if you're not of their level, you know? And if you are of their level, they're, all, they're not going to run from you. They're, they're going to, you know, get in there and, and, and duke it out, too, you know? So, and we, I, and we asked. It's a mentality. We asked Cool Boy Steph to define it for himself, what a, what a Philly fighter means. He says it's more about the mindset. It's more about that intensity and knowing what he needs to do. Because, look, this guy's a boxer. He can be very technical. And he said to us, you know, boxing smart is boxing easy. But he can get dirty if he needs to, and that's the key. And you better believe, Luke Thomas, that Arnold Hay guy is going to try to make this a dirty fight. I was about to say, this looks to me like maybe my characterization is wrong. What do you guys think? It looks to me like a classic boxer-puncher matchup. Now, which isn't to say that, that Hagai can't box a little bit, neither that uh, Fulton can't punch. I think it's a little bit of both. But if I had to sort of assign roles there, that's the way I would do it. Is that the way you see this fight? Kind of, sort of, yeah. You know, I, I just think uh, that the entire night in general has underdogs that show up to fight. You know, these guys show up to fight and... They have opponents who look to win without making the night, quote-unquote, boring, you know? So you could see some good clashes. doesn't mean you're going to see upsets. You may or may not see the upset. But I do see the styles meshing together for some fun fights. Just one thing for me to Make say. it fast, because they're, they're literally taking apart but, the set but, behind Arnold, us. Arnold, hey, guy. First fight with his new trainer, Marvin Simodio, at the wildcard gym, a Freddie, Wright's, Freddie Roach's disciple. They said that this new marriage... Kind of gives off the feels of when Freddie and Manny first got together. I'm not saying, hey, wow. guy, Big is the talk. new Manny Pacquiao, but watch for this marriage here. There's a lot of passion. There. I'll throw it right back to you, Brian Campbell. We are going to be hosting this desk 
for the prelim stream, which starts at 7 p.m. on YouTube. Very quickly, what can folks expect from some of the fights that are going to be on the undercard? Yeah, well, Luke Thomas brought the DMV with him when you talk about three bright prospects that we need to get to know. Patrick Harris, Keyshawn Williams, and, of course, Lorenzo Truck Simpson. Truck? Kind of sounds like Tank, right? They come from the same area in Baltimore. Same <laughs> trainer, of course, in Calvin Ford. But so it was... Tank was already taken, so he took Truck. There it is right there. Yeah. Truck is the youngest, though. And he was very honest. He says, look, I've learned from the good and bad. We've all seen in this camp from, from Gervonta for years. You look at Patrick Harris, Luke, okay? A guy, the nephew of the boxing brothers, Lamont and Anthony Peterson. He's uh, going to be a fun fighter. Watch 140 pounds. He's going in there against one of your brethren, a former Marine. Oh, yeah. third degree burns. So buckle up for that one. I do like that nickname. It's a bit cheesy, but I don't know. It kind of speaks to me. And the Headbangers gyms are, the, you, know, you know this as well as I do, sort of like the institution in D.C. for. Barry Hunter in the house. Yeah, they're going to be here. So that should be interesting. That will start at 7 p.m. Obviously, on Showtime's YouTube channel, we'll be streaming it live. Three fights for you. Steve Farhood on the call. Ray Flores as well. Brian and I will be down there. And, of course, you can catch this man, Paulie Malinaji, with the rest of the crew over for the championship boxing edition, which starts at 9 p.m. on Showtime. All right. Final thoughts here. Any boys? Uh, you fought in this arena. It is historic. Um, it's a fun night ahead of us on Saturday night, yes? Yeah, Should like I said, I, I just think stylistically, we have a lot of fun fights here. And there's you know? something magical that happens. When you put the welterweight division and the Barclays Center together, what have been the best fights at 147 in yep. recent years? You're talking about Thurman Porter. You're talking about Garcia Thurman, Garcia Porter, all, everyone against each other. Hey, Paulie and Zab Judah. Oh, that was a box fest, Paulie and Zab Judah. <laughs> anyway, expect action. Expect violence. And, of course, the, me and Broner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very true, very and, then, true. and then, of course, don't forget, it's about the wild upsets that happen at junior middleweight seemingly all the time now. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Don't forget, 7 p.m. on the YouTube stream for the preliminary card action. And then we Showtime Championship Boxing. Triple header kicks off 9 p.m. East Coast time on Showtime. For Brian Campbell, for Paulie Malinaji, uh, excuse me, Benson Hurst Royalty, I am Luke Thomas. Until next time, enjoy the fights.